Okay, well, uh, after tonight, we're going to break for next week, so there'll be no Friday night Bible study next week. I'm going to finish chapter 10 tonight, and tonight we're going to cross the fourth warning out of five. There are five primary warnings in the book of Hebrews. We're going to cross the fourth one tonight. But <coughs> I'm going to start by just uh, going straight to the notes. Uh, and last week I started with a quote by Spurgeon, uh, but tonight I'm going to start with the, a quote not by Spurgeon, but another famous person, Forrest Gump, who said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what flavor you're going to get. And this is the truth of the matter, because each day when we get out of bed <coughs> with a hope and expectation that life will play itself out in that day as we had envisioned it, that it would uh, happen that way, but however, it really does. And the reality is, is life comes at, at you from every point of the compass. My pastor, uh, you know, Roger Evans used to say, nobody escapes life. And I think the older you get, the more you come to the realization of the truth of that statement. Sometimes it, it distracts you. Sometimes it demoralizes you. Sometimes it discourages us. We lose our footing and we lose sight of which way we should travel. Um, every once in a while, and we started talking about this last week, uh, this, this phrase, the evil day, uh, a traumatic event which completely blows us off course and takes us down. And uh, we can look to Job uh, for that because he, he makes this statement in Job chapter 3 which really, which really gives um, uh, mileage to that phrase that we read in Ephesians chapter 6 in the evil day uh, in reference to the whole armor of God. We read this in Job chapter 3. For my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. And so, you know, I, I, I read that and I think of, you know, is, is this something that God brings into the life of, all, of all, uh, all his children? That if you can think of what is it in life that you fear the most, right? What is it in life that you fear the most? And will there come a time in your life where God will test you on that? He'll bring you into confrontation on that uh, just like he did with Job, right? And so, so you know, you, when we look at Job, what did Job lo lose? Job lost his wealth, he lost his family, and he lost his health, right? So he, so he lost everything, and he says right there, the thing that he feared the most had come to pass, and it caused him great distress, and it knocked him off, uh, it knocked him off, off, uh, off balance, but the reality is, is he understood the s that the sovereignty of God was behind everything, and he recovered. Come on in, come on in, and he recovered because of that. And so, it's not it's it's that's just going to happen in life, right? You're going to mm -hmm. get knocked off balance, you're going to get knocked off kilter, you're going to be discouraged, mm -hmm. you're going to be despondent. You know, you'll you know, I know I've been to that place where Job is, where you know what, I just would rather that God take me home than continue on, right? 
Uh, and I don't think, I don't think that, I think it's only being honest. We're only being honest with ourselves when we admit we get to that place. And I don't think that that's wrong. I think that God honors and respects the honesty. But, but what, I think, what I think happens is what I think is that thing, it's kind of like, again, going to a nautical thing, you know, when a ship capsizes, right? It, it, when it gets broadsided by a rogue wave, it capsizes. But ultimately, it writes itself out because of the construction. Well, that happens to our faith, too. It gets capsized. But the thing that writes our faith is the understanding of the sovereignty of God, that God is behind everything that happens in our lives, both good and bad. And, and if, if we trust him, we know that even the things that happen in our lives that are traumatic, ultimately God uses for good. Okay, so how we respond when these evil days come determines whether or not we will advance or retreat in the faith whether or not the trials will increase our faith and stamina or diminish it. So, so uh, that, that's true. So the hope is that our response will always be like that of Job's. Job's response was honest. You know, it, it's, it's absolutely honest to, you know, you know what I mean? When we, you know, when we pray to God, right, we pray in the king's English, you know, thou art, mighty and wonderful and you know all of those things and and that's okay to do that if that's who you are but I think there are times when it's genuine to say you know what God this just sucks this just sucks you know and I know I know that so so I could you know I could just share my feelings with God or I can pussyfoot around it using the King's English and, you know, Elizabeth, Elizabethan English, you know. And, uh, but I think that God respects that, that, that he understands what we're going through because he's the one who's ultimately behind it, right? But it's okay to say, God, I don't really like this too much. I think that's genuine. So last week there was this exhortation. Um, there are notes here. Pastor Roman, let me get you a set. Here, you can take them, and anyone that comes in, you can. So this was kind of a paraphrase. I found this, I think, out of some, you know, maybe paraphrased Bible or devotional. I don't remember right now. Child of God, you can come right into the Holy of Holies of God, where that path has been marked out, secured, and made safe for you by your high priest, Jesus Christ. So you should bring yourselves near to me, child of God, without fear and doubt. For even your heart and your consciousness of sins has been cleansed by the new heart that I have given you. And so th this is out of a paraphrase Bible. I'm not sure which one it is. But there's that word there, should, which indicates a mood of contingency. And that mood of contingency is in the original language. Um, so it's there. So our ability to bring ourselves to draw near to God in full assurance for help when the evil day comes, and this is kind of where we left off last week, is contingent upon two things. The first one, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So we talked about this last week. To hold fast <coughs> is to remain unshakable, not bendable. 
And so I, you know, I, I kind of like nautical terms. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews uses quite a few of them. You know, piers, when you have a, a pier, it has to be driven deep into, in deep, in deep into the bed of water or else it won't hold, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the slips or the, the piers. It won't hold them in place. So, so the piling to which the pier is secured, no matter how well constructed the pier is, if the pilings to which is it attached are not driven deep and immovable, everything attached to them is in danger of collapse and being swept away. So verse 24, and let us consider one another, uh, over on page 2, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So uh, at, at least we can, we were talking about the evil days that come into our lives and what does it take? Well, here are two things right here. That evil day that comes into our life is that we have to hold fast our confession. Um, we have to hold fast without wavering. So how do we hold fast without wavering? Well, one of the things we need to do is we need to consider one another, as it says in verses 24 and 25. To consider one another is to observe with the purpose not of judging, but of coming to understand one another in order to encourage each other to love and good works. So, so we come together, we talked about this extensively last Friday, we come together as a body not to judge each other, but to encourage and at times bring correction. But there is a prerequisite for that, is that you have to, you have to spend some time getting to know the person. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't, it's, it's not a problem in this church, but it has been a problem in some of the churches that I've, be, that I've been in, you know, where there'll be a young lady who walks into the church, she's visiting for the first time, and, uh, you know, women who are not churched, they dress according to the fashions of the culture, right? And so she comes into, she comes into a church that's rather conservative, rather legalistic, and she's wearing a miniskirt, you know, and one of the women in the church go up to her and say, you know, you really ought not to wear that to church. Bye, you'll never see that woman again. But if you build a relationship first, you have to build a relationship to be able to input into the life of another person, as well as you have to be willing to receive it as well. Right? You can't just give correction. You've got to be willing to receive correction. That all has to take place within the context of a relationship. So considering one another comes with several prerequisites in order to do that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That is to leave behind the assembly. I can't tell you. I mean, Pastor Roman, he passed a Roman nose because in my frustration I shoot him you know, uh, you know, screenshots of the texts I get. People walk away from Christ. They walk away from Christ. They walk away from the fellowship. And all of a sudden, I start getting text messages that, you know, they may be being harassed by demons. What, what do they do? You know, or, or how do I, you know, how do I get past this? Well, you walked away from Christ. You walked away from the fellowship of the believers. That's where it has to start. You have to come back. You have to come back to the household of faith. You have to repent and you have to come back. That's where it begins. But there's, you can't walk away. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Because what will happen is 
that evil day is going to come into your life. And if you're not ready for it, because you've been part of a fellowship of believers, if you're not ready, you won't be ready for it if you don't have a support system of brothers and sisters who will who know you well enough, A, that they will allow you to vent without, you know, without hammering you, or or they will that they will be there for you as a sounding board, right? Uh, but when you fall on your own, then you're on your own. Yeah, bringing under the umbrella of protection. You know, you come out from under the protection. But so people don't realize, again, and I said this last week, is, you know, we, we tend to think in terms of material and spiritual, but that's a false dichotomy. It really is, because the two are interwoven together. You cannot separate the two. Think about this for a moment. Before creation, there was only God. There was only God. There was no material. There was no spiritual. Since the moment of creation, there has been both material, the material realm, and the spiritual realm, right? And it will be that way for all eternity because what happens after God destroys this heaven, these heavens, and, these, and this earth? He creates a new one. So it's a false dichotomy to say that, you know, material and spiritual. So the reason why I say this is because ultimately you have to understand that everything that happens really has at its base a spiritual issue or spiritual cause, right? And so you need to be able to look through an issue and, and look at what's going on behind the scenes. So when you, when you and the, the, the umbrella of protection is the fellowship of believers. You know, <coughs> look, the church is messed up. The church has always been messed up, right? But the reality is, is this is the organism that Christ has ordained and that he has authorized. For better or for worse. Sometimes it's for worse, but a lot of times it's for better. And there is a, there is a, a safe harbor of protection when, you are, when you're in conformity to the command here to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There is a safe harbor of spiritual protection that you come out from under when you decide to separate from the local assembly. And then you're basically swimming with the sharks. Yes? Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, so where was I? Okay, so let us not forsake. Okay, so now we're at um, to consider one another. We're at the top of page two. To observe with the purpose not of judging, but of coming to understand one another in order to encourage each other to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is don't leave it behind. A believer does not leave behind, fail to spend the time to get to know and love his brothers and sisters because they are spiritually weak. Rather, they are spiritually weak precisely because they have left behind the assembly. You see this time and time again. Pastor, would you say that that's kind of an aversion? Uh, again, uh, as the kind of statements make, that really 
association with their brothers and sisters that's that's essentially why they're they stay in that immature state no matter what because they haven't gotten back to that yeah yeah because what happens when you're you know what I mean you you do <laughs> whatever group you roll with that's what you tend to do you know so if you're rolling with uh, you know if you're rolling with a bunch of pool players that's what you're gonna tend to do you know become a good pool player right it, but if you're if you're rolling with people who are actively pursuing God actively uh, learning the Holy Scriptures and that that obviously is going to have a positive sanctifying effect on you but you can't when you come out from under that then you know you're on your own okay this is the circumstance this is the place this is the contingency upon which it will be determined determined whether or not we will stand in the evil days to come time and time again I've seen genuine believers come into the evil day and fall flat on their faces because they have not heeded God's command and provision not to forsake the assembly as a place of strength and encouragement. And so there are some verses there. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to skip past that. And, uh, but you can read it on your own. I'm going to skip down to the bottom of page two. Uh, in this day, the greatest danger, that is the evil day, right? So, so this is talk about, this is, we find this exact phrase in in the book of, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, right? Take up the whole armor of God uh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, right? So these are days that will come into our lives, right? It would be nice if it were just one, but that has not been my experience, right? So probably not yours either, right? And so there's, uh, th th those days are gonna come. So in those days, the greatest danger for the child of God is that he or she will revert back to the coping mechanisms that were learned that are not based, that are not God-based, but world-based, right? The anesthetics of the world turning back to the coping mechanisms that we had before we were with Christ. It happens more than you know. It happens more than you know. This does not reverse, but it only increases the downward spiral for the believer as it now puts them on the wrong side of what God is bringing about. And this brings about profound emotional and spiritual implications. Okay. So just one more point there, uh, top of the page five, page top of page three, sub point five. When you're not prepared ahead of time and the evil day comes and you revert back to world-based, world-learned coping mechanisms, you are conforming yourselves to your former lusts, right? And that's what the verse up above first Peter is talking about all right so now we move on to the fourth warning that comes to us in the book of Hebrews uh, and it puts the child of God in an emotional and spiritual tailspin so Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 says for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, so this is warning number four. If we sin willfully, this is not spoken to unbelievers, this is spoken to believers. If we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. So willfully means voluntarily after having received the knowledge of the truth. 
if we turn voluntarily to sin after having taken the truthful knowledge, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Literally, it means no longer a leaving behind associated with the sacrifice for sin. This doesn't refer to the loss of salvation, but the loss of another kind. Okay, so there's a uh, Hebrews 10:2 says, "For then they would they would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins." So there is that phrase there, the consciousness of sins, right? 1 John 4.17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this way, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So consciousness of sins brings fear. Hebrews 10.27 goes on and says, uh, let me read it together with verse 26 so we, we can get the sense of it. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So what happens is, is you move from faith-based living to fear-based living. And you go about thinking, you know, like you go about feeling like you have the sword of Damocles hanging over your head, or when is the other shoe going to drop? Because you know you have, you have come out from under the umbrella of God's protection. You are willfully engaging in sin after having been exposed to the truth. So we know that we are responding in the wrong way and thus know that our Father is not pleased for us and we are fully expecting and awaiting the spiritual wooden spoon or the strap, depending upon what your ethnic background is, right? So I got, I got all those and then some. The wooden spoon, the strap, the slipper, everything, right? right. So... So, you, you know, I think, I think we've all been there, right? Truth be told, we've all, we know we've done something wrong and we're just kind of looking, okay, when is God going to, you know, when is God going to put the whammy on, on me for this, right? But what happens is you go about, you've moved from faith-based living to fear-based living. You're worried. It's kind of like, you know, so I have a sign that I made up <laughs> in, the, um, in the class that I teach up in the fellowship hall basically a, a piece a piece it's a piece of cardboard and on the top it says I am and I put underneath a B and C a talking too much B being disrespectful and C misbehaving right so what I told my kids I said look enough is enough what I'm gonna do is if you offend I'm gonna make you hold the sign in front of you Point to the letter. I'm going to take a picture and text it to your parents. <laughs> right? And now when they start, all I have to do is take the sign and just go like this. And it goes dead silent. Why? Why? Because they don't want to face, they know they're going to be in trouble when daddy finds out. Right? It's the same thing. You know, when you were young, you stepped out of line. And you get the, 
wait till your father gets home, you know? And that's what, that's what this is kind of like here, right? Okay. So the word judgment there in verse 27 means an examination of verdict, not on our salvation, but on our actions. And the indignation there means a response motivated by passionate emotions. God loves us, right? A father, you know, there are, <coughs> there are right and wrong ways to discipline children, right? You don't, <coughs> you don't discipline out of anger, right? You discipline out of love, right? And so that passionate emotion that's there referred to as indignation is the love that God has for us as a father. He's going to correct us. So it puts the child of God under the rod of his chastisement. Verse 28 says, Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This law, this was a law given to the people of God under the old dispensation, not to judge whether or not they were indeed the people of God, but their individual actions before actions as the people of God. Hebrews 10.29 says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought, un thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? We don't often think about our sins in that way. Right? We don't often think about our sins in this way, especially willful sin, which is what this passage is talking about. There was a price that was paid to cover the penalty for our sins, right? That price was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so there is a, there is a, a certain devaluation that takes place in our mind when we willfully engage in sin knowing what the price was to cover that sin. I don't know if, it, if you're getting what I'm saying, right? So, so it's kind of like God sent his son to pay the price for my sin. My sins have been paid for. I have, I'm reconciled to God. I'm empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I have the ability to read God's word and I choose to willfully continue to engage in sin. In that way, it seems like I'm trampling the Son of God underfoot, right? There's something there uh, that insults the spirit of grace. So it tramples the Son of God underfoot. Remember, his sacrifice removes and cleanses the consciousness of sin. And so that word trample there means to, to, to treat with disdain or something common and and think back to, to the uh, you know to the Exodus account when the Jews came out of when they came out of Egypt and they were wandering through you know the desert the Sinai Peninsula and they were starving and uh, they you know besides their rebellion God sent them manna you know and and they had manna but what happened after they had the manna for a while right getting tired of this stinking manna right. You know, and so and so, something there's a, there's something that happens in that exchange, right, within us when we engage in willful sin, 
And I think it's something that kind of tracks along that trajectory with the Israelites and the manna. They realized they were thankful for it. It was precious. It was delicious. But over the course of time, as their hearts began to harden, it kind of became a, something that they loathed, that they came to loathe. Right? And so it is that hardening effect of sin. Okay, yes. Can I, can I just interject on 29? Because it does with the comparison that we do. How much worse punishment, right? When you contrast it to what was under the old covenant. I mean, can you give uh, your, your practical take on that? On that kind of that okay. state of things? Okay, so we have, to, we have to, so it's talking about two groups here, right? Old covenant, new covenant. Okay, so. So I think what it's talking about there is, is the issue of chastisement, right? So the people of the Old Covenant were considered to be the people of God, right? Israel, they're the people of God. So when they, when they transgressed, God brought correction into their lives. And actually, they're still under correction, right? Because we're still under the time of the Gentiles. But now... Let's move forward to our time now. We are, we, are the, we are the church. We are new believers. And I believe what that passage is saying there is that the chastisement that will come upon the people of God in this dispensation will be much more severe. Right? Well, how do you, how do you quantify that? I mean, you know, we don't have Nebuchadnezzar knocking on the front door of the church or things like that. Right? But... But we look at events like that, but there are, there are places in the book of Psalms where, you know, there is a psalm in there. I think it's up around 105, 107. One of the psalms that kind of gives an overview of how God dealt with Israel. And then, and then one, particular, one particular psalm, it talks about that in this manna event, they got tired of the manna and they wanted meat. So God sent the quail. But it also says he sent leanness into their heart. He sent leanness into their heart. Right? And so, and so what does that mean, leanness? Is that they became spiritually desensitized. Right? They were no longer to, to perceive. They were no longer. They had lost the ability to perceive what they had previously been able to perceive. So I think. I think the, 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 the judgment or the correction is much more severe because I think it's much more internalized, right? And, and let's face it, I mean, we are living in a time of it's not getting any better, right? We see if you look over the history of the church, we're not going from, from good to better, right? We're going from good to pitiful. I mean, we are in the Laodicean age, and you find that everywhere that people are they are just apathetic. Even those who, even those who are considered to be true believers and mature saints, at the end of the day, you know, we are we are nowhere near where you know the people of God were several hundred years ago. You know, in their devotion to the Scriptures and to in their devotion to early living. That's the best answer I can give. You know, I don't know if that answers your question. But there, so that, that has to mean, it has to mean what it says, right? So when you compare the chastisement of God to the people of the old covenant, 
that the God promises that the chastisement that will come to the people of the new covenant will be much more severe. So how is that? How does that happen? Well, we may not even be seeing the end of it yet, right? And so, um, okay. Okay, it insults the spirit of grace. Okay, how hard is it to pray and read scripture when you know you're not in the right place with God? Why is this so? There's something in us that says, I'm not worthy, I can't handle the conviction. And so we stay away and spin even further away. This is an insult to God's grace, which he has promised to you, uh, child of God, no matter where you are or what you are into. So we see this and we've experienced it. We take a trip into sin, and the last thing we want to do is read the scriptures. The scripture reading falls off. The prayer life falls off. Church going falls off. All that stuff falls off. And when we think about, you know what, I really should start reading the scriptures again, it's like, no, you know, we shy away from it because it's our conscious now. We've moved out from under living in faith to living in fear. Okay. So we've moved from faith-based to fear-based living in this place because no matter where we are spiritually, emotionally, we know that the following two things to be true about our God. Hebrews 10.30 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord Jehovah will judge his people, not to destroy, but to sanctify and purify. Yes. Would you go back to the last point? We wouldn't go no further there. But you know, you knowing your parents, how can I show what is God in my heart? Why does it always have to be I need to do this, I need to change that, and I need to do this? And do you does, do you think that goes along with that last comment that you just had of people like they don't want the conviction? No, they don't. <coughs> they don't want the conviction. They just want their, you know, fifteen minutes of encouragement, right. right, and and go on their merry way. Or, you know, what's happening more and more often now is, is, is many churches, if not most churches now, are essentially emotionally driven churches. They cater to the emotions, right? And so, you know, it's like you go to a restaurant. And instead of steak, you know, you want pudding. You know, you opt for the, the quick burst of sugar energy, but in the long run, it doesn't give you the nutrition that you need to get down the road a ways, right? And so, and so that's what's happening more and more in, in churches across this country, not to mention what's going on in Europe. They're in a deplorable state there now, right? Yes. something to coddle something that makes them feel a little better about themselves so they turn to all sorts of stuff that emotionally charges them up positively again right? yeah. it's, that, it's the fake um, Holy Spirit move sometimes it's the fake you know let me let me let me turn on the, a positive song that'll make me feel a little closer to God somehow when I really got to deal with the sin I don't want to deal with it I'm just gonna try to yeah. manufacture something that's fraudulent yeah I, I think that's that's a, a tragedy of modern evangelicalism is that we have seemed to de-emphasize the pursuit of holiness. It takes effort. You know, the pursuit of holiness is something that we're called to engage, right? 
We don't just get zapped with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden we're <laughs> singing in the heavenly choir. You know, it requires real effort. So, so yeah, and, and truth be known, this is one of the things that, you know, that, that those who are Catholics will point to and say, you know, they, this, is how, this is how they mount their attack on salvation by faith. Right? Is you just have faith and you don't have to do anything else. And of course, it's just a straw man argument. But the reality is, is when they look at, of course, they don't look at themselves, right? They go to church once a year, you know. But they, but they can, but it doesn't matter, right? They look at us and say, well, what about holiness? You know? The, the pursuit of holiness is something that we're all called to, right? And so, and that's it's not an easy thing and it requires effort and it requires discipline and it requires falling many times and getting back up and keep moving forward you had a question Doug? Um, just an observation um, people, people who want that from a biblical sense they want to lean on all the promises they don't want to lean on the responsibilities and the cooperative work and the service and all the other things that the church is demanding Promises are there because grace and mercy and the truth is there, but that's not devoid of the fact that we have to put up with it. We're called to be disciples. I mean, that's gymnasio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, the thing is, is we're called to be disciples, but not just for the purpose of learning things, Correct. right? But we, is, we're, we have to implement it in our lives. That takes effort. That takes struggle. And that takes you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, it, it sure does. Okay, so we have to do all these things. Why? Well, because look at what it says in verse 31. It is a fearful thing to, the fallen, to fall into the hands of, a, of the living God. These are not words that are spoken to unbelievers, right? I mean, God's chastisement can be quite severe. And here's what here's my experiences. The greatest chastisement of all, the thing that has consistently scared the living hell out of me, is those times when I can't feel his presence in my life anymore. That's the one thing I can't live without. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, where it's like God has gone silent. You know he's there because of the promises but you don't sense his presence in your life anymore. That scares the hell out of me. I don't mind saying it. Because not only does it scare the hell out of me, it scares the hell in me. Because that's what life becomes for me during those periods where it, it seems like he's gone silent. Right? Okay. So, so now after you know, going through this, the author moves on and he says, but, right? So he calls us here, uh, he calls, calls us here to an act of remembrance, which leads to a course of action and a course correction in verses 31 to 39, or verse 32, let me call it. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, 
and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. And so, again, going back as they were, they were draw they some of them were thinking of drawing back because of the persecution that they were enduring and so you know the, the way that played itself out is that some of them began to forsake the assembly right and when you forsake the assembly then then all of the other warnings that we have crossed so far begin to creep into your life but he's saying remember think back to that time when you first got saved remember everything that you went through right you you accepted the plundering of your goods you were willing to deal with the suffering and persecution because you recognized the preciousness of what had been given to you but what happens over the course of time the manna effect right so he's telling them recollect go back it's kind of akin to what it says in revelations chapter 2 to the church, in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, the church that had left its first love. Remember from whence you have fallen, from where you have fallen. Think back to that time. Okay. So remember, recall the former days, how you endured with a great, the, with a great struggle, the sufferings. Verse 35 says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So that word, again, there's the, there's the nautical term, cast off, but there's that word confidence, which means fearless, strong assurance, right? Fearless, strong assurance. So, so we are to hold on in a fearless fashion to our faith, hold on to those things. Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Okay, so what is you have need of endurance? So if you read in, 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 uh, in some of the other Jewish epistles, I think it's 1 Peter, uh, that there is, a, there is a purpose. As a matter of fact, let's turn there to 1 Peter for a moment because I think it tracks exactly with what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Okay, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God uh, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then, if you jump to uh, 
uh, is it James? Yes, in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let, have, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God providentially brings these things. He was bringing these things into their lives to build endurance, right? And the same thing happens with us. He brings these things into our lives to build endurance. And so we have to hold fast. We have to stay the course and, and, uh, and, and do the things that we're called to do. Okay. I'll read verse 36 again and then just finish it off. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So that, that is a quote. You know, if you go back to Amos, you say, the book of Amos, Amos asks, basically, he asks God three questions, right? And, and, uh, and I think it's crouched within God's answer to the third question uh, that Amos asks God that, or is it Habakkuk? No, it's Habakkuk. Uh, that Habakkuk asks God that God says the just shall live by faith. So you can go there and, and read that on your own. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So here now he completes, you know, the, you know, the, his, his whole discourse on the priesthood, on the sacrifice, and, and how now that be, how that should impact our thinking in the way that we move through our lives okay all right so this is what happens in the life of a child of god when he or she makes the choice of untying the dock lines of their boats of life and faith from the other boats which are lashed together to each other and to the pier that has its pilings driven deep in the rock they untie their lines and they venture out into the hurricanes of life on their own before you know it, their boats will be in danger of being swamped by, a big, by big waves. Okay, so uh, that's kind of it. So next we get into, you know, we'll get into Faith Hall of Fame and talk about those things. Um, okay, so again, what can I stress here? I want to stress two things that are important in closing. One is that you can't be, you can't walk in the pursuit of holiness and walk with God on your own, right? You need to be in fellowship with other believers and you need to really get serious about the pursuit of holiness, right? And what all that means. Mm -hmm.